Hello there. Welcome to the Holistic Musician Lifestyle Podcast, where we go beyond the just practice more philosophy. The Holistic Musician gives careful attention to a holistic lifestyle. They care about nutrition, exercise, purpose, business, well-being, messaging, branding, creativity, and spirituality, all to enhance their effectiveness as a musician. And now your host, licensed Simply Music educator and Soothing Sounds pianist, Eric Reinhardt. Hello, you're listening to the Holistic Musician Lifestyle Podcast. My name is Eric Reinhardt. Soothing Sounds Pianist, and today I'm going to be interviewing Luke Story, and he has a podcast called The Lifestylist Podcast, and so uh, he has these very wide-ranging skills and expertise within health, um, spirituality, and then I found out that he is also a musician. He plays the bass, and so I reached out to him, and he was super gracious to... um, Grant me some time for this interview, um, especially since this podcast is just getting started. So um, if you're listening to this at a later date, um, we'll see how far it comes or how far it doesn't come, depending on. And um, really what I'm hoping to get out of this is to be able to fine-tune our musicianship So we're going on just beyond just practicing eight hours a day and being mindless drones of repetition, but how can we be these conscious individuals, which Luke is really good at, is uh, just like cultivating this this consciousness, this focus, this creativity um, to feel in good health. When we're in good health, we can create some brilliantly inspiring music. And so... That was particularly why I asked him onto the show. Uh, we'll see where it takes us. I think we're both pretty free-flowing as far as having the interview be unstructured in a certain way. So I hope you enjoy. If you wouldn't mind reaching out to me at holisticmusicianpodcast at gmail.com and tell me if you really want to hear something, question answered, uh, and I'd be happy to sort of fulfill your feedback or fulfill your question with an answer. Um, It would be great to have this be a two-way communication. I also have a Holistic Musician Lifestyle group on Facebook, so if you'd like to join that group, you can just email me at Holistic Musician Lifestyle or find the group on Facebook. Um, anyway, without further ado, here's my interview with Luke Story. I definitely come from an academic side of, of music, like playing classical piano is, uh, so it's going to be interesting. Our, our chat today, I'm sure. <laughs> Great. That's awesome. Uh, Cause I come from a, a, a place of music that is totally uneducated and just comes from Led Zeppelin records. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> got that talking about your little bits of a little bits of you touring. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and where I'm excited where music fits into your life. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. Uh, Yeah. So thank you for throwing a bone to me as you Uh, say, dude, dude, it's all good. Listen, man, when I started my show, I'm not like I'm some big somebody or anything, but when I started my show, I aimed really, I'm not even famous. I went for like super famous people in the health industry and stuff like that. And I don't know why it was just dumb beginner's luck. Maybe that I got a lot of yeses and some people, (laughs) people were, I was a nobody in that world. I mean, I had some success in the fashion industry and stuff like that. Um, but I definitely was not I was nowhere on the map. And so when I hit up people like Dave Asprey from Bulletproof or Jack Cruz or Ben Greenfield, some of these really big guys, and they were like, yeah, man, sounds good. I'll do it. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even, and I didn't even have it out yet. I was just like, I'm recording a bunch of episodes and then I'm going to put it out. So now, I mean, I don't think I've ever said no to being a guest on a podcast because I just, mm. especially one that's new because I, I know what it's like, man, to try to get it going and you really need, you need every boost you can get, you know? <laughs> Yes, definitely. And the uh, the host is doing all the, the back-end work with the post-production and making those backlinks. So it's like very oh, cool. much that, that symbiotic relationship, right? Where awesome. it, it helps you as well. It's great, um, dude. I love it. I'm happy to do it. 
So maybe we can just jump into your your music background and uh, where music is kind of fitting in in your life these days. My music background started when I was a really little kid, uh, three, four years old in Aspen, Colorado. And some of my earliest memories include hearing the music of the Eagles and John Denver and the music that was popular in the early 70s in that area of the world. And so I always have equated music to my memories. Like when I think of a person, I think of a song. When I think of a place, I think of a song. So all the sort of key pivotal points in my life are related to this auditory experience that we call music. Mm-hmm. So it's just the way my brain's oriented. You know, it's just like, oh, I remember the song that was playing in that. I mean, literally right now, like floods of memories are coming to mind, like a moment in my car with like a girlfriend and boom, I remember the song that was playing and mm-hmm. whether it's a, a positive memory, a negative memory, a sad one, a happy one, whatever, it's always equated to music. So early on, I just had this, this real... Mm, I don't know. I just music had a huge effect on me at a very early age, and then I think when it really took hold of me was when I first started hearing like my the the very first um, you know rock and roll records that I heard. We used to have these things called records, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they were twelve inches wide. Yeah, before my time. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know, like my mom would always be listening to really great music. Um, she loved Marvin Gaye. She loved Pink Floyd. Like. I just have these early childhood memories, but I think the most impactful early memory of music for me would have been Jimi Hendrix's album, Are You Experienced? And when I heard that, I mean, it gives me chills right now. I mean, I could put it on right now and it just takes me back to my uncle's living room in Sebastopol, California. My mom used to clean his house in exchange for... Uh, him babysitting me at night because she was a waitress and she worked at night. And when she was, and it was this huge house and it was like, uh, it was a long house. It was one story. So it was really long. And when she was at the other end of the house running the vacuum, she would let me crank the stereo up as loud as I wanted. Cause when are you like seven, eight years old and you can turn the stereo up as loud as you want? Never. So she's like, if I'm vacuuming, you know, she liked rock and roll too. But I mean, I would turn that shit so loud. And this is back when we had tube amplifiers and vinyl. And it was a really rich sound experience. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a couple like a tube amp with a really high quality, high, you know, what they call high fire, high fidelity stereo with Jimi Hendrix, Foxy Lady, Are You Experienced? Uh, um, all of those songs, whatever ones are on that album. And I would just crank that until my ears bled. And I think that was really my first spiritual experience. It was just, it took me away to this realm of consciousness that I was unable to achieve in in any other way. And that was what hooked me really on rock and roll. And then went on to really, you know, discovered Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and (laughs) all of those like really kind of heavy rock and roll bands of the early 70s. And that's what I listened to my whole childhood really until I was a teenager. And then I found the Rolling Stones and I was like... And then it was all over. Mm-hmm. I, I still am not off the stones to this day, you know. So that was like my introduction to music was just it was a it was a um, an escape from the reality that was my childhood, which was often not very happy and uh, safe, you know. So that was mm-hmm. I could put on headphones and listen to my music. Uh, that was that was my safe place. Mm-hmm. Somehow it resonates with you and uh, sort of offers you comfort so to speak yeah totally totally and it was also kind of in a sense like a a fantasy world too you know it's like when you especially with headphones you put on headphones and put on some really rich textured music like think of something like uh pink floyd dark side of the moon i mean i don't care Mm -hmm. who you are what language you speak where the hell you're from how old you are you throw some like high quality cans on someone and put on dark side of the moon, it's going to change their consciousness. Something happens. (laughs) There's something really magnificent about certain, and you know, the same could be said for classical music, obviously too. And and so many different jazz, I mean, put on some bebop, put on Charlie Parker or Miles Davis, you'll have the same experience. I mean, you're going, Whoa, this is not the human level. We're in some other astral dimension of consciousness. And so, that was my first kind of high and my first salvation was music. And it, and it still is even to this day, if I need to change my mood, I'll, I'll put on very specific music really loud for just a minute, one song, two songs to change my whole headspace and my emotional uh, landscape. 
because the music is all sound is vibration mm. and we're vibration mm. we're water you know and so <laughs> you always think about this dude if you if you cremate a human body what's left afterward a little urn of ashes what was mm. the rest what was the rest of you water yeah <laughs> water and vibration have a very symbiotic relationship you know so i look at music as like a really really powerful tool of consciousness could you give uh me give us a track that you regularly put on think of one okay if i want to get if i want to get hyped i wish i could put it on right now <laughs> if i want to get energized like say before i do a, a talk or public speaking a gig or if there's a, a big business meeting and i have to go in and sit at a boardroom table and i'm doing some like boss ass shit for me uh the go-to absolute like most grooviest song ever is can you hear me knocking by the rolling stones mm, okay yeah, it's on Sticky Fingers. And it's just, it's the sexiest beat, I think, in like rhythm guitar track ever recorded in the history of music. I mean, it just, it's insanely rocking. You can put that on, I'll put it on in my car on Spotify and just crank it. And it's like, I just never get sick of it. The opening riff. It just has this like backbeat funk kind of thing. I've been trying to learn that song on guitar for like 10 years. It's an open G. And it's, it's, if you can get like the way he does the verse, you can get it the way he does the first sort of measure of it, right? But then every single time he changes it. That's Keith Richards. He's so annoying. You, you, I literally don't think you can learn a Keith Richards song on guitar because. <laughs> He never, A, in one recording, he never plays a measure the same way twice. Mm-hmm. Never. And then every performance of it for the next 50 years will be different also. So you could listen to every live recording of Can't Hear Me Knocking. He never plays it the same way. I think he's too high to remember how he played it mm-hmm. in the first place or something, you know? But that's, that's like my go-to song to get hyped. Mm-hmm. But then if I want to get in a more like heart space... Um, comfortably numb or wish you were here or shine on uh, crazy diamond those three pink floyd songs lately i've been in a pink floyd thing i get in my car and i just like i just disappear mm. it's like i'm 10 years old again just minus the marijuana uh, assistance <laughs> you know? it's, it's the music of your time right yeah well also yeah also like when i was a kid and i started the second like salvation i had was smoking weed and the music was very much closely related to the experience of of the ganja and so i mean even just hearing bob marley and peter tosh for the first time being high and we used to sit around in the 70s and smoke hash and marijuana and listen to that music and it was i mean you talk about like another elevated (laughs) state of consciousness and so um even though i don't partake in those things now and haven't for a really long time that music still takes me away to that place because you don't need the chemical assistance it's the it's the energetic vibration of the mm-hmm. music and the people playing it that can take you away and it's and the then flashback. and then the, yeah and then the last one is really um classical music which i don't know any i mean you could obviously school me on classical music and maybe send me some recommendations but mm-hmm. i'll just pick the obvious ones that i recognize in spotify and i listen to that a lot when i work i really mm-hmm. like that a, because there's no vocals, and B, because there's just, it's such a high vibration. Like good classical music by a great orchestra is just, there's something in that that's beyond anything rock and roll could ever be. It's on another mm-hmm. freaking level of consciousness, you know? And so mm-hmm. I've just in the past few years kind of gotten into that as well. Although, like I said, I really don't know. I couldn't tell you anything about it. <laughs> it totally, it's, it's perplexes me the whole thing i just i don't even get it you know that it's like in to me the idea that music can be created by you writing down notes on a piece of paper and that you hear it in your head and then you get a group of people to play it that's not how i've been situated in music Mm -hmm. i learned music like plug in an electric bass you got four strings i mean mm. it's pretty hard to screw it up you know <laughs> like if you're playing fairly simple rock and roll you get a bass guitar you just start and you just do it and everything is by ear so music like jazz and classical that require the ability to read music and write music and things like that i think are just there's there's they've got soul and they've got heart but there's a cerebral level of intelligence involved in that music that makes it quite different from anything secular or, or you know, in, in the rock and roll or pop music genre. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I was listening to your episode with Nate. I think the sound healing guy and and you were, you were talking about that. And I was like trying to think about certain specific songs. If you type in like Chopin Ballade, number one, that's like the best classical piano song I've ever. Oh dude, I'm going to write that down. Um, I'm not even playing. I'm going to write it down. And Chopin is like, he has stolen my heart for sure. Uh, you know, that's funny. Chopin is the one that I usually put on Spotify. It'll be like best of Chopin playlist or whatever. And that's the one for whatever reason resonate resonates with me. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't sound like a star Wars soundtrack or something. Sometimes the classical music is a little too daunting and dramatic. I'm like, yo, I'm just trying to write an email here. Like, <laughs> I'm not trying to take it there. You know, I just mm-hmm. want like, uplifting bouncy sort of music. Okay. So what was it? Uh, the G minor ballad by Chopin. Okay. How do you spell ballad? Uh, B A L L with an E at the end. Ah, okay. Yeah. And, uh, cool. Yeah. So that, that's like probably one of his best pieces. And I, I just like, I have gone on the deep end of like reading his biography and (laughs) and like investigating him because he's just like so brilliant. And oh, that's cool. Yeah. Do you know anything about the origin of that particular piece based on your research? Uh, he was in, he was in Vienna in his early twenties and, um, the, uh, he didn't really like the Austrian people very much cause he's from Poland and, but Poland was in a revolution. So he wasn't able to go back home either. They like closed off the, the country. So he was just really lonely at, at that period of time and he hated where he lived. Um, so that's kind of like the context and there's this, there's wow. like, you can, you can sense there's like pieces of sadness in it, but then there's also like some of the most like amazing heartfelt melodies, uh, oh, of, of cool. nostal- nostalgia and longing. So, yeah. Isn't that interesting how so much of the greatest art created by humans has been born out of suffering? <laughs> It's so weird to me, like blues, like American blues music. Blues is probably, I mean, that's everything I know about playing music is just very much rooted in blues. That's pretty much the only thing I know how to sit down and play on guitar is just bluesy mm-hmm. stuff. And the the best blues is the saddest blues, but it cheers you up. <laughs> that's the weirdest thing. I mean, at least me, people have often criticized me like, dude, God, that music's so depressing. How do you listen to that? I'm like, what? It makes me happy. Like put on some howling wolf. It sounds so menacing and dark and lonely and sad. And it's born out of such pain and oppression, obviously in the American South, African-American flight. Um, sharecropping, cotton picking, slavery. I mean, it's like the worst possible conditions you can imagine. And here comes this just beautiful spiritual music born out of gospel and evolving into what eventually became jazz. And so it's like the music is born out of this abject pain. But when I listen to it, it's like I groove. I mean, it makes me feel really happy. It's weird. Maybe Hmm. I'm, maybe I'm schizo. (laughs) No, I mean, uh, so I recently got uh, licensed in a piano method and that's one of the methods or that's one of the, uh, genres that they really teach. And so that's how I hook like, like my young, my young kids is through that genre. It's because it's probably, it's the low hanging fruit. Like you can get a a long way with one, one, four, five. Totally. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, And surprisingly enough, I like, I'm a part of a music group uh, I was in like a piano group in Northern California and all of them are more classically trained. And I just wanted to play a 12 bar blues. Uh, and none of them knew how to do that, but they know how to play these like ridiculous songs. Isn't um, that funny? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I experienced that it, playing in bands sometimes. It, like if we happen to wrangle in a guy, like maybe a, a horn player or something, like there was a trumpet player to play with and, I mean, he could play jazz, he could play anything, but we would try to get him to play like the most simple one, four, five, just like Americana rock and roll. <laughs> it was like mm-hmm. too simple. His head couldn't get around it because it's just like, there's not enough to do. You yeah. have to leave too much space. He's like, well, there's a part. I go, yeah, no, you got to let it breathe. That's the whole point. You know, it's, mm-hmm. that's what, especially with blues music, that's one of the things that makes it so powerful is there's this space in there. Which is not really inherent to jazz or classical. It's always like, oh, this frenetic activity going on and, and multiple instruments doing crazy things at the same time. But blues, you have like a shuffle, bop, 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 
you know i mean it's like the beat alone just makes you sink back in your chair and you don't want a lot going on there you know Mm. it's like presentation is sparse and there's there's a certain um eeriness in the sparseness and musicians sometimes that are really advanced and are more heady have a difficult time resting down into that space and just allowing it to breathe (laughs) it's funny pianists get made fun of for just like making so many notes (laughs) Right, right. Uh, like you just know, play. Resist. So. Look at all the freaking notes you have in front of you. <laughs> play something simple is so is yeah. so challenging. Uh, so I really, I, one other thing that I really love is the. Um, I never get to talk about music, so it's, I get excited. Uh, but is the solo work of John Lennon after the Beatles broke up during the seventies? God, he has so many beautifully recorded songs that feature very little instrumentation other than like bass, drums, very prominent piano. Some of the like coolest piano work is john lennon in the 70s uh so i just wanted to uh touch on something you were talking about blues and yeah um you're you have a very um i think a lot of your music is within community is that right like in within a band or that's a lot of your experience well it used to be i mean now now I just play by myself. There's actually rarely anyone around me that knows how to play anything because I don't really hang around musicians for whatever yeah. reason. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> I, I have a joke that I, I don't say because it offends musicians, but I say, man, why don't people say, why don't you play in a band anymore? I go, because to play in a band, you have to hang around musicians. <laughs> <laughs> Pain in the ass. You know? if, I, if I was qualified musically, I maybe would still be a solo artist or something, you know, but, uh, but I play mostly by myself, but there was something really fun, you know, in my twenties and actually into my thirties. I mean, I guess I played in bands for 15 years. There's something when you're in a band, you're like a gang. It's, it's, it's you against the world, man. And it's like, you guys have a vision and back in, you know, back in the early days, often we'd all live together. And I mean, it really was like a gang and, Mm. And you you get so and then you're riding in tour buses together and things like that and flying around and you're you're traveling and you're this little traveling circus and there's a camaraderie there. It's almost like maybe and it's probably an insult to compare it to like a military troop or something like that. But in a sense, you know, you go out and you travel together and you survive these trials and tribulations. Maybe you're not getting shot at, but the tour bus gets a flat tire and you all get through it, you know, or you you work mm-hmm. on recordings together and you learn how to be creative with other creative people and then you learn how to compromise and communicate and also just when you're in the act of playing with other musicians there's a certain uh another level of nonverbal communication that's taking place you know really learning how to listen to the other players and feel the emotions that are seeping through each one during a performance so it's it has historically been a really communal type of uh, experience for me but in the recent years i'm always just by myself and there's like kind of sucks no one's ever around that can play anything you know mm. like i actually have one friend that plays but for some reason we know we go to his house i think because he has a pool and a hot tub <laughs> i'll sit there and play guitar but everyone's running around and we never sit there and play together but mm. i kind of miss that you know i miss that sense of community too yeah the reason i ask is so i do a lot of just like solo playing and uh, the thing that really resonated with me is like, those are your homies that you're being with and that you're playing with. And I've played in like, I played in groups, uh, but I didn't like love the people that, <laughs> that I was with. Right. And, and right. so it just like felt very like, I don't really, I'm not really enjoying this very much. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, well, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. I mean, that goes back to my, earlier comment i mean when you're in a band you're married to four or five people and that's the thing you have to really like them i mean the last band i was in we we all got along really well and we were friends and it was there was no drama and we would hang out together when we weren't playing and things like that i mean i wouldn't say we were we were all a little bit older we were in our 30s at that time so it wasn't like we all lived in a house in silver lake and we're like us against the world man we're gonna make it you know it was just <laughs> gig and we all had our day job still and stuff like that when we came off tour but uh yeah to play in a band with people that you don't like like i can't think of anything worse than that 
especially <laughs> especially touring man touring is brutal unless you're at a really high level i mean it's no accident that some of the hugest bands they don't even travel together they stay in different hotels and they're never in the van together and i mean bands that have iconic bands that have people that are you know that don't get along they literally like have different dressing rooms and they only see each other on stage. Hey, how's it going? One, two, three, four, and the show starts. <laughs> and then they don't see each other anymore. You know, they do it for the money or for the love of playing in a band, but they hate each other. You know, I mean, there's a lot of famous examples of people like that, bands that don't break up or they break up and get back together, but they still hate each other. They're just doing it, you know, to do one last tour, maybe mm-hmm. a few bucks or whatever. But yeah, I can't think of anything more excruciating than having to sit there and like act like you enjoy someone's company when you don't. Totally. Um, could I ask you a couple of questions about just like our, so musicians, they're chronically inside and chronically sitting. And so I was wondering if you had any thoughts on how we can make sure our living environment is, um, suitable, like light, things like lighting, uh, th- <laughs> things like lighting air, uh, just some quick things. Eric, that is such a great question, dude. I think being a musician is probably, I'm trying to think of a worse occupation. A worse occupation would be someone who works swing shifts. Like I'm thinking of someone who works in a hospital under really bad fluorescent LED lighting, stale air, doesn't ever see the sun, works graveyard. I mean, that's probably physically, I think the most unhealthy (laughs) or someone who has a really, really stressful job where they're just full of cortisol all the time, which is, you know, obviously a number of different jobs. Think of an EMT or something like that. Uh, But being a musician physically, dude, is a really unhealthy lifestyle because of all the sitting, right? Um, And because of the lighting. So you're out playing in nightclubs, you're doing performances, you're going on tour, you're under stage lighting, you're in a totally unnatural environment all the time. So that's one of the drawbacks. I mean, if you were in some acoustic folk bluegrass band and you just went around and played like folk festivals all summer, you know, outdoors, bare feet on the ground in some prairie or something, you'd probably be okay. But it's just the fact that most music is played at night indoors and then the rehearsal and the practice is in inside. Mm-hmm. Another thing that makes it more so that way is music is loud. Electrified music is loud. And so when you're in recording studios, in rehearsal studios, you've got to be in enclosed buildings that are soundproof so the sound doesn't get out or the, the, so that the sound quality is able to be controlled, say, in the, in the case of a recording studio. So you've got bad air, you've got bad lighting, you're locked in, you're getting no natural light. And and this is why, like, when musicians are recording, they often will, like, go outside and take a walk around the block or do a few burpees or whatever mm-hmm. just to, like, get out of that really unnatural sort of cave-like environment. So... Uh, my recommendations would be as follows, and I've never actually thought about this. My my recommendation is like quit your band. <laughs> That's what I did. Um, but you know, it's true in Hollywood too. People that work on film sets and fashion shoots. I mean, you have these giant LED, like really toxic blue light shining in your face all the time when you're shooting. I mean, the entertainment industry in general is not supportive of biological mm-hmm. health. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just not because you, you have to create these um, artificial environments all the time. And the problem with our health is that we live in a totally domesticated artificial environment already, but that's magnified by certain occupations like being a musician, actor, working on set or something like that. So anyway, recommendations. First thing I would advise is grounding. So when you're practicing your piano, you could get a grounding mat like this one right here, put it underneath your bench, plug that into the wall, or better yet, run the grounding wire out your window and put a (laughs) copper spike about 18 inches into some wet dirt in your yard and at least be electrically grounded to the earth while you're playing. That's a little bit difficult to do um, when you're you know, performing or something like that, but just practicing at home, staying grounded would be uh, a wise thing to do. Next thing I would recommend would be 
if you can adjust the lighting in the area in which you're working, and this is true, just the lighting is true for anything that you do. So, mm-hmm. so you're, you're rehearsing, recording, practicing. If you can make the lighting indoors match the lighting outdoors. So if you're shooting, uh, not shooting, if you're doing music indoors and it's daylight out, then you want to use full spectrum lighting indoors. So right now you've got some great light coming in from outside. That's great. If you get natural light, windows open is even better because glass, yeah, glass blocks half the UV and it makes it unnatural. Glass doesn't exist in nature, right? So you always go back to nature. Is glass on some mountain somewhere? No. Glass is man-made and it blocks certain spectrums of light. So windows open is good, but if you're playing loud-ass music, your neighbors are going to get pissed. So that's tough. But natural light best. Second would be incandescent full-spectrum bulbs. You can find those on Amazon. Just search incandescent full-spectrum. Full-spectrum means that it has all of the different colors present uh, that would be present in sunlight. So sunlight, I don't know how many nanometers there are in sunlight, but there's violet, purple, red, orange, blue, white, there's all kinds of colors, right? When we're in a normal indoor environment, the spectrum of light that we're exposed to is extremely unnatural, especially the light coming off computer screens like this one right here, and light coming off LED bulbs, those little CFL bulbs, those are the worst, like fluorescent lighting. Most indoor lighting now is really detrimental to your brain and your biology in general, not because there's some evil Knights Templar Illuminati forces that are trying to kill you. That could be true too, actually. Probably is. But um, it's because it's, it uses less energy to produce a cooler light. So imagine if you have an old incandescent bulb, you know how hot they get? If you're mm. old enough to remember like old school light bulbs, they're super yeah. hot. You can't touch them. It'll melt the skin off your finger. That produces a lot more energy than a totally white or blue tone LED light. So they phased out all of these quote unquote energy inefficient bulbs at the cost and the expense of our own health. Mm. Working indoors, daytime, do full spectrum. Now at night, you want to mimic what's going on outside. So at night, you want orange or red lights. Um, amber bulbs, uh, orange, red, because those would be the those would be the spectrum of light that we've evolved to look at when the sun is gone. Mm-hmm. That's the problem with looking at your phone, looking at your computer, walking in your kitchen, flipping on the light switch, and you have those bright lights that are embedded in the those cans in the ceiling that are usually these gnarly LED ones. It's very blue light. It's not a natural spectrum. We've evolved to sit around a campfire. Like literally, that's why we're standing here is because we figured out how to make fire. And if we want to hang out at night, you'd have to have a fire going or, or a full moon or starlight, right? So um, imagine when it goes dark outside that you want to make your interior of your studio where you're recording, practicing, or your home, mimic what's going on outside and use amber, red, or orange lights. Again, you can search on Amazon, search amber lights, uh, search uh, orange lighting, red lighting, incandescent bulbs. They make those old style decorative bulbs. They're like, uh, they call them Edison bulbs. Hmm. And they have more of an orange hue. They have very little blue. They have a little green. So um, that's uh, recommendations. And then in terms of being seated, I mean, who's going to like sit and practice guitar or anything at home and stand up and rock out? Most of us are going to sit on our ass. If you're playing piano, unless you're Jerry Lee Lewis, you're not going to be standing <laughs> up. Or Little Richard, those 50s guys, you know, they they were like pretty hyper when they played. They would stand up, they're early rockers. But uh, the thing I think working at a desk or, or playing music sitting down is you just have to take breaks. That's the key. So in mm-hmm. my studio office here, same for podcasts. I mean, this is my second interview. I've been sitting in a chair for two and a half hours or mm-hmm. we'll have at the end of our interview, which is not something I would advise. So after we get done, I've got this big red um, workout ball, like one of those big rubber bouncy balls. And I'm going to roll around on that. I'm going to roll out my spine. I'll probably go out on the trampoline on my rebounder in the living room, jump on that. I might take a walk around the block. So setting alarm to take breaks is really important so that you're not mm-hmm. sitting or standing too long. Because now everyone has standing desks. I'm like, uh, that's a 1950s factory job. Now standing wasn't good for you. That's why we got rid of factory jobs and put everyone in a desk. It's being sedentary that's bad for you, whether you're standing or sitting. Wonderful. 
Did you have one last thing, Dad? It sounded that's like it. you did. I think that's uh, it. The lighting, yeah. the lighting and the seating, uh, those would be the main, the main two things. I mean, the other unhealthy thing about being a musician is just the food and beverage that you're typically exposed to. I mean, if you're freaking you too, like you're ordering the best organic vegan food, you know, in your, in your tour rider and, you know, you're getting the best spring water delivered and stuff. But man, if you're on a lower level, a lower tier, some indie band and you're on the fourth stage at Coachella, I mean, they're going to throw some, you know, GMO chips and MSG sauce at you and Diet Coke and whatever else. So I think the, the food and drink that's available, especially on tour, is pretty rough. You can control that when you're in your home city recording, um, recording, rehearsing, practicing, things like that. But when you get on tour, man, it's, it's probably easier now than when I was playing in bands because you can find a Whole Foods in most major cities at least and find some organic food. But I think that's the other thing that's really detrimental is the hours, the lighting, sitting so much. Uh, and the air, the um, the food and the wa- and the water, the food and beverages, mm-hmm. and I won't even get into the dangers of the drugs and, and then alcohol <laughs> exposure. That's a whole other conversation. But just on you know standard health stuff, I think that mm-hmm. pretty much covers it. Cool, thank you. I, I know that you probably say, have said that like ten thousand times on your podcast. So no, I love it, uh, dude. This is the this is the information that you know save us all from dying of degenerative diseases, whether musician or not. It's really important to carry this information to people because I, you know, I'm in this bubble, and I think everyone in the world eats healthy food and knows that you shouldn't drink diet cokes because of the aspartame and that you you know you need to turn your phone on the amber light at night and not be looking at blue light at two in the morning i think that everyone's like that and then i do my show and people are like i've never heard of this i'm like what what rock have you been living under uh but that's because most people don't become interested in in things like this until they have a health crisis or they don't become interested in spirituality or personal development or therapy or anything like that until they have an existential existential crisis. And so I'm all about like intervention before the proverbial shit slings at the fan. Like let's, let's just get better and stay healthy now so that we don't even have to deal with it. So why go to some cancer clinic in Mexico when you can just live a lifestyle that makes you not get cancer in the first place? Mm. You know, so (laughs) I'll talk about this stuff until I'm blue in the face, dude. I love it. So it's super important, man, to get the stuff out there. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and yeah. so as we're so we're coming close to the end, so I just want to cool. ask, make sure that I um, investigate a little bit about so flow and creativity. And you you mentioned drugs; uh, those are some of the tools that a lot of musicians know to reach for for creativity. Um, I'm wondering if you have any more conducive ways to kind of get yourself in flow maybe not just for music but like for for your work and and uh really anything anything creative podcasting as well well yeah for sure first i want to touch on the drug thing because this is (laughs) i was watching a special on the grateful deads when another one of my favorite that's another one that god did change my mood i just put on some grateful dead like oh my god it's instant happiness, um, depending on the song. The Jerry songs more than the Bobby songs. No offense to the Bobby fans. But I was recently watching a special uh, about the Grateful Dead. It's on Amazon. I think it's called Long Strange Trip. It's fantastic. It's like a six-episode thing. And they show, they show their whole journey from you know being sort of folk musicians, bluegrass musicians, uh, getting into then country and blues, and then you know moving to San Francisco kind of from the suburbs and hanging out in the hate, and then the big acid explosion and the acid test and all that. And it was fantastic to see the music evolve because of the heavy psychedelic experience that was going on. But what I didn't realize when I was a kid, because I worshipped the musicians and I wanted to you know, be like them and play music like them, is those guys were all very proficient musicians before they got <laughs> into drugs. And, you know, and let's not forget, Jerry Garcia died essentially from abusing crack and heroin. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like taking shrooms and tripping out and playing some guitar is one thing, but sitting in your car smoking heroin uh, is one of the last things he did. Uh, you know, that's a different story. But when I was a kid, I would look at Keith Richards and be like, oh, cool, man, I can't wait to try heroin because I want to play guitar like Keith Richards. 
what happened for me was I was a drug addict before I was a musician. So I was never that I was never that great of a musician because I was too busy buying and selling and using drugs. So I think if you're a musician and you think like getting high is going to make you a good musician, you better be a fucking badass already and then explore psychedelics, you know? Yes. And I'll also just say I've never I've never known I've never seen certain drugs enhance someone's musical abilities like drugs like cocaine, meth, heroin. I mean, the ones that are more mild, the psychedelics and marijuana and stuff, sure. If you're a good player, you're going to probably reach areas of exploration musically that you wouldn't come up with stone cold sober. But um, I remember doing like a lot of <laughs> coke back in the day and like being in a recording studio recording. We're like, oh my God, we just made the best song ever. We're going to change the world, man. And then the next morning you come back and listen to it. We're like, what? Oh my God, this is horrible. You know? So, <laughs> so I would say enter at your own risk with drugs for anything. But um, that was the key distinction that I missed as a youngster was like, yeah, the, the guys that did a lot of drugs and even the Beatles, when they discovered acid, whoa. I mean, they went from, you know, eight days a week to Sergeant Peppers. They were only together, what, like seven, eight years? I mean, talk about like an evolution of a band. And a lot of that was largely due to drugs. But they were badass musicians before they ever touched drugs. Mm. See what I mean? And like junior high, these guys were virtuoso musicians. And then you get four or five people together like that. Pink Floyd, all of them. So that's the drug thing. I don't do that now. And so whether it comes to podcasting, playing music, uh, the flow state thing is something I'm really fascinated by. And I wish that I had cracked the code to know like the lever to pull mm-hmm. when they all kinds of different stuff from standing on my head before I want to do something like creative, uh, literally. I mean, doing <laughs> headstands, yogic headstands breathing exercises, uh, listening to different music that we've discussed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a way to induce it. Uh, I've worked a lot with neurofeedback. Which Do you have a, a favorite uh, Kriya for um, altered states? You know what, man? I mean, I do a lot of Kundalini yoga and I've been doing it for six years. But honestly, I don't remember the names of any of the like the mantras or the mm-hmm. Kriyas. And I'm not that great at like memorizing them. So... Yeah usually I end up doing just breathing exercises and then I put on certain mantras, like one I think is called the Leia mantra. Satanama Siriwa Eguru Ekonkara Satanam. I mean, I know how it goes and it's 11 minutes. I'll put that on really loud and I'll do crazy ass like holotropic breathing or shamanic breathing for 11 minutes. And I'm super flow state. So there are ways I know to kind of hardwire a flow state. Yeah. But, there's other times, man, where I'm in a good mood and I think everything's cool and I go to be on a podcast and I feel really awkward and I can't articulate well and I can't get my brain turned on. So I haven't cracked the code yet. I would say um, probably the most powerful way for me to get in flow state is to be around other people and not be self-centered. Like I'm way doper right now doing your podcast than I was not to like toot my own horn, but it's just true. <laughs> I, I can just feel I'm much more in flow. I'm not doper. I'm, you know, I'm always dope. We're all always dope, but I'm much more in flow now. Cause I just had an hour warm up before us. Yeah. Uh-huh. And even before that interview, if I had sat down and like, I don't know, just gotten some human connection, a hug or a conversation or had someone express caring or lovingness toward me, or I had the opportunity to do that towards someone else, it would have gotten me into a flow state before the interview before you. So I think the biggest hack of all is humor, human connection and interaction. Mm. And that's really the thing that we're often missing in our, <laughs> in our culture. We've evolved dude, to roam around with 50 or 60 people and look in their eyes every day and have a lot of human touch and, and love and affection and understanding and compassion and empathy and, and the rest of it, and the drama and the passion and, and all of that as well. So we live in such isolated ways now that I think um, it makes it more difficult to get in a flow when you're just by yourself trying to like hack yourself and there's this self-centered bubble going on. Yeah, so, that's the life of the solopreneur too. 
Yeah, it is. I mean, that's the thing. Like people go, what do you do for work? I'm like, I'm pretty much just, I'm a slave to Apple mail. Like (laughs) I'm like, Apple mail is my boss. Like literally every day I'm like, okay, ding, 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 45 emails. Like that's what I'm doing today. You know, and there's productivity tools where that you can make that not the case. But uh, yeah, I work by myself a lot. You know, and something that I do sometimes also to get in a productive or a flow state is I'll just go take my little 13 inch laptop and I go work at a coffee shop. And I'd, mm. I don't even talk to people because that would be distracting, but just being around other human beings and not feeling so alone and isolated mm-hmm. tends to get the juices flowing. Whereas if I just, if I'm too much in, well, there's a name for it, cabin fever. Yeah. <laughs> when you're just always by yourself and you, pretty soon the thoughts and feelings start bouncing around within your own skull and you, you lose the ability to be fluid. Yeah. You lose the fluidity when there's not like an exchange of energy with other people. Yeah, that resonates with right? me. I just moved to Orange County like a couple months ago. So, dude, st- I wish you didn't live in Orange County because I want to learn how to play piano. So, <laughs> uh, honestly, dude, every time I hear like, a, I mean, the piano pieces that I want to learn are super simple, like um, the Rolling Stones' "Sympathy for the Devil." I mean, it's one four five. It's E D E E E E D D D D D D D A A A A A A A E. I mean, it's like someone would just show me how to find those and make those chords on the piano. Mm-hmm. I got the rhythm and everything down, but I'll hear pieces on piano. I'm like, Oh man, shit. I really want to, uh, really want to get a piano teacher, but then I'd have to get a keyboard. And I don't have one. <laughs> you moved to orange County. Go ahead. Uh, just, just, um, trying to figure out my social scene and, uh, and living this life as a piano teacher teaching in the afternoons, but not really doing much during the day uh, and everyone else is like away at work. And so that's just uh, a, uh, a difficulty figuring it out, uh, trying to find those groups and those social connections um, to like feel connected. I, before co- listening to this um, well, as a preface, Brendan Burchard, I don't know if you're familiar with oh, him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I love Brendan's work. He I've gone to like four of his seminars this year, but uh, so he, uh, he says like information preparation isn't necessarily the thing that you need. It's the energy preparation. And uh, so like before coming into this podcast, I, um, I was listening to mind pump uh, because those oh, kids, cool. they, they just like, they just shoot shit. And like, that's my guy humor that that's going to kind of get me to laugh. You, you yeah. said that uh, laughing is a biohack. So I yeah, need do, I oh need to do, mo- <laughs> do more of that, dude. Eric, that's another one. This one, this is funny. I talked about this at uh, speaking gigs because when I go speak, I like any human, I, I get nervous. Once I'm up there, I'm like, Pfft. I mean, I could like do any. I'm not embarrassed or shy. Like I can get up in front of people, but on the way to an event, if I'm going to speak, I'll be nervous a little bit. So I do this thing. I have a good flow state thing. Um, that works best in the car because then no one can hear you. I've never done it in my apartment because I feel my neighbors would like call the psych ward on me. But I'll be in my car and I'll just like fake laugh really loud for a really long time. I'll literally just be like, ah, ha, 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 ha. I don't want to do it now and like make too much noise. But I'll just like make myself crack up and I'll do it for a few blocks. I mean, I'm not talking like a couple. Ah, I mean, I'm like, busting the gut like on mushrooms in high school laughing like really loud for a really long time and just moving my face actually into the smiling position even i mean if you drove by me you'd be like oh my god this guy's psychotic but there's science behind that there's there's chemicals and neurotransmitters and things that your brain produces and move around when your face makes certain shapes and when you do certain things with your vocal cords so there's a lot to be said for just doing something that makes you happy and makes you laugh. I mean, there's, you know, watching stupid, goofy, funny movies is good therapy. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. another one too. And also, and also another uh, good flow state kind of mood thing is jumping on a rebounder. I mean, there's no, there's no accident that Tony Robbins does that before he goes on stage. I mean, it gets you hyped. It gets all your lymphatic fluid going. It moves your blood around, oxygenates your blood, gets toxins out i mean it moves energy just like you know certain uh practices of yoga do so i think anything that moves energy is going to benefit yeah i I will take that noted i've been a little bit too sedentary the past couple days so 
get get yeah. the blood flowing and everything. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Well, maybe we should wrap up at, at this point, but maybe you can uh, provide links that uh, that you'd like people to check out or what you're up to. Sure, dude. Later. Yeah. The, the best place to find me is the Lifestylist podcast. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. Uh, you can also find out a lot of information about me at my website, lukestory.com. I've got a great online store there where I don't sell anything, but I link out to all my favorite things in the world. And in terms of health and biohacking technology, I'm, I'm a pretty avid researcher and I vet things and put them on my site. So people tend to really enjoy that because it saves them a lot of time and energy and research themselves. I'm just a nerd, so I like doing it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm also really big on Instagram. I'm on Instagram a lot. I do right now as we're recording, I have an Instagram live going of this conversation and uh and I do a lot of Instagram stories and just all kinds of goofy stuff. So you can follow me at Luke Story. That's with an EY. And uh, I think that should pretty much do it. But you can basically stock my whole life in one of those three locations. Awesome. Thank you, Luke, for being here. Thanks for having <laughs> me. Man. Yep. Anytime, dude. Hello. If you're listening to this, it means you've made it to the end of the episode. Just want to thank Luke again for coming on the show. He has a really big podcast, The Lifestyle Store. It's growing and it's been around for a year. So I'm really happy to interact with him live. Uh, the thing that I probably took away from this the most um, is he just comes from it at a completely different angle as far as being a part of a band and being on more of that rock music. And so for me, I'm a classical musician. I think a lot of listeners will probably be on that more of that academic side. So really starting to think about uh, interacting with other musicians, uh, knowing who to like surround yourself with. Um, and especially for pianists, you can go into this like pool of isolation or this hermit lifestyle where you're never playing with anybody else. And so that and just needing to get good before you take drugs. Uh, I thought that was a particularly interesting message and anecdote from Luke. So, um, there's no way to escape the hard work. Thank you for listening. This is Eric Reinhardt, Holistic Musician Lifestyle. Feel free to leave a comment or review on iTunes. Hope to see you on another episode. Thanks for listening to the Holistic Musician Lifestyle Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, leave a review. Have a comment? Want to hear something specific? Email eric at holisticmusicianpodcast at gmail.com. Now go out there. Change your inner life, change your music, change the world with your purpose-driven music.